You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Everybody get up. It's time to cast now. We got a podcast going down. Welcome to the Bechdel cast. It's your chance. Here's some rants on the Bechdel cast. All right. All, all right, right. All right. All right. <laughs> We had to keep going. Oh, oh come, come on, on and cast. And welcome, welcome to, to the cast. <laughs> come on and cast if you want to. Caitlin Jock Jams Durante. Thank uh, you. I love a good Jock Jam. Oh, so good. If I'm having trouble getting started in the morning, I find a Spotify list of Jock Jams <laughs> and I get to it. It's very effective. It's very good. Yeah. Welcome well, to the um, best- <laughs> <sighs> well, welcome to the podcast. It's it's we've been waiting for this day has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. It's Space Jam Day. A Space Jam on Day on the cast. We've been talking about covering it forever. We were originally going to wait until the sequel came out. Yeah, but the sequel is just. I mean. Maybe it's coming, but and now who knows? You know where the product. I it, it simply couldn't wait a moment longer. Yep, true. <laughs> um, this is the Bechtel Cast, our feminist movie podcast in which we examine film through an intersectional feminist lens, mm-hmm. inspired by the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. But we we do a far deeper dive. Yeah. Good grief! What's the Bechtel test, Jamie? Well, uh, if if. If you recall, it is a media metric invented by Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test. Uh, She's a queer cartoonist who invented this media metric that requires that two uh, female-identifying characters that have names talk to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Female characters or just anyone of a marginalized gender. Right. I mean, her original, the, the right. version we use, anyone of a marginalized gender speaking to each other about something other than, you know, let's say for this movie, 
Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Uh, yes. Spoiler alert: Most movies don't pass, mm-hmm. and this movie doesn't pass. No. Yep. Uh, <laughs> right up front. So um, I know. It's like, well, I feel like we always go like, like do a big drum roll at the end. But now, as time goes on, does it matter <laughs> that much? It doesn't. Like most likely, no. Most likely, no. <laughs> True. Okay, so that's the podcast. Today, like we said, we're covering Space Jam. We have a wonderful guest. She is a writer for The Mary Sue. She is the co-host of PBS's It's Lit. She has a great YouTube channel. It's Princess Weeks. It's time to slam. And welcome to the jam. I have been waiting for this. I, I I feel like to be able to cover... Space Jam on the Bechdel cast is, like, my purpose in life. <laughs> like, I feel like Killmonger in, in, in Black Panther is like, I've been trading my whole life for this, you know? I've... <laughs> Your hero's journey has led to this. Here we are. <laughs> this is the final challenge. It's finally here. And it's so funny that you bring up that this movie fails the Bechdel test because the first thing I wrote in my notes is like, the only terrible things about Space Jam are that it doesn't pass the Bechdel test and it opens with an R. Kelly song. Like those are, those to me are <laughs> yeah. like the unforgivable sins of this movie that I love so much. I'm like, I started watching it and then it was like, oh, oh no, right. Yeah. <laughs> and the other things as well. <laughs> I'm so, there is, this is a, not, I mean, I guess not even surprisingly, this is a dense text. All said oh, and done. Oh, yeah. I was mm-hmm. truly, I feel like as time goes on, I'm always, it's always the movies I expect to not have a ton of notes for that I have like seven pages of notes for. Yeah. And then other, mo- like we, the Vavitch, I'm like, I have 14 words about this movie. What is there <laughs> to say? <laughs> and yet our episode on that was five um, hours long. over an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, do I want to yeah. live deliciously? Absolutely. But let's talk about oh, capitalism yeah. and Space Jam. Like, what is that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it is so, I mean, there's so, but like the layers of marketing, I mean, this movie is marketing, mm-hmm. but the sub marketing levels of this movie go so deep. It was. It made me uncomfortable, but then I also was like, but it's still Space Jam. Right. So how uncomfortable could I get? It's the inception of like vanity projects because everyone's like, oh, because I was like looking at the old reviews and they're like, what two weird concepts to mash together? I'm like, no, it's perfect because you're getting two very popular things to meet where they should never meet. (laughs) <laughs> and and yet it made millions. <laughs> it's just like... it worked in a way that people have been trying to emulate since. It's so I feel like if things had gone even a little bit differently, this movie could have been a total disaster. Like if mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's career had gone a little differently, if the plot had I mean the plot is nonsense. What even it, is right. the plot? <laughs> it's such a finely tuned like it it I I'm so happy that it came together the way it did because it could have been <laughs> such a disaster. Well, because it's it's adapted from two Nike commercials from the early '90s. What yeah. else is there? <laughs> like that that's Hasbro's Hasbro's whole ploy was like let's make toys and turn them into mm-hmm. TV shows and Space Jam. Like we can go beyond. We can take sneakers <laughs> and the hip hop community's love of Looney Tunes and really fine tune that machine. 
<laughs> into a multi-million dollar operation. I And I do appreciate that this movie, like, it does not go halfway in telling you exactly what it is because, well, on the poster, Bugs Bunny is first build. In the mm. credits, he is second build. But the hmm. fact that <laughs> these are the two main cast members <laughs> and there is... You know, they eventually credit the voice actor voicing Bugs Bunny, but it is Bugs Bunny who is sharing <laughs> the, it's, I mean, it's a big swing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. It's like when the Downton Abbey movie, like, didn't put the cast in the trailer, they just put the names of the characters from Downton Abbey there, like, <laughs> Robert Crawley. <laughs> and I was just like, you sons of, but I was there. I was like, I will see Mrs. Hughes. I want to know what she's doing. <laughs> it's a miracle that this movie isn't the worst movie of all time but it's so good it's, i'm very excited to talk about it and i'm so excited that you're here to talk about it with us princess yes well what's your what's your relationship with it what's your history with it for me all right so i was four years old when space jam came out and i have mm. loved it ever since i've always been obsessed with lola bunny i she's an icon to me and I just, I just love it. It's my, every time I'm sad or have like a really bad depressive episode, because I, I deal with a lot of that, I put on Space Jam or just listen to the soundtrack and mm -hmm. it like soothes me. It's like being swaddled by a film. And like when I was rewatching <laughs> it, I really had to like turn, I was like, all right, princess, you have to like forget that you're in love with this product. Forget, just take off mm -hmm. my nostalgia goggles and put on my like feminist Bechdel goggles and like mm -hmm. and I always had to be like mm, you know I have notes I have notes on that but overall I just I love this movie I think it's it's a black film in a lot of ways from like the soundtrack and the music choices and mm -hmm. just how you have Michael and like his beautifully melanated family and mm -hmm. um and also like even though he's not in it a lot his encouraging father who's like yeah you can go to school you can be whatever you want to be I just mm -hmm. think that like you know if you're gonna do like marketing vanity project the movie those little bits of inclusion <laughs> that are like in the weird uh subtext of the film are like make it worth watching even with the critique lens on yeah mm -hmm. uh jamie what about what about you what's your history with it uh i also was i think four when this movie came out i i really liked this movie growing up i've i'd seen it a lot and then i like remember i watched it with my cousins i my mom was so like militant about certain cartoons and there was no like if a cartoon was too sexy, I couldn't look at it. <laughs> so I would have to watch Space Jam at my cousin's house mm. uh, because there was too much like rabbit cleavage to watch it at my house. I can't really like track the logic, but that was, <laughs> I think, what it was. It was like the bunnies were too horny and so I couldn't watch it at home. But I could watch it with my cousins because horny bunnies were okay at their house okay so i watched it a lot on and off in secret growing mm -hmm. up but i haven't seen it in a long long time like at least since high school i think and so it was really fun to rediscover it because since then i like know a lot more about animation history and i'm like way more like i have a little bit better of a framework about like the history of looney tunes but at the time i was just like i want to see the sexy rabbits and they're kind of forbidden so now you know <laughs> i'm an adult i can watch sexy rabbits whenever i want mm -hmm. and so that's exciting for me <laughs> sure. um but yeah it was so it was kind of funny to 
it was when I think Caitlin and I, we were texting about this where it was like, if someone had asked me two days ago to recap the plot of Space Jam, I would have gotten Oof. it completely wrong. Like I, Same. Was, just, I was like, <laughs> Monstars versus Michael Jordan, which is basically it. But there's also a lot of other stuff going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. What, what about you, Caitlin? I was 10 when this came out. Mm-hmm. So I was, I think, like the target demo. Um, I loved it. I saw it starting at age 10 watched it a ton but probably haven't seen it since I was 11 or 12 so there was like a year or two that I was like watching it constantly and then I guess I felt that I had grown out of it and then stopped watching it so I yeah I haven't seen it in well over two decades and (laughs) I really there's I remembered almost nothing except there there was one shot where as soon as I saw it I was like oh yeah that it had been like burned into my memory forever and it's when Michael Jordan when he first arrives in like Looney Tune land mm-hmm. they're like doing like a metal medical examination of him and one of the Looney Tunes looks into his ear and then you cut to like a an animated like shot of the inside of his ear and there's like a paper and clip yeah. <laughs> in there and I was like and that always haunted me as a child and I saw it again I thought about that shot mm-hmm. when I was watching it as well because I was like you know Michael Jordan is very like scrupulous about his image and I'm like I'm honestly surprised it got past his PR team to be like my the inside of Michael's ears has paper clips in them I was like he I guess that he was okay with that right a lot of the people in this movie really let themselves be really silly in it which surprised Mm -hmm. me I was like wow Charles Barkley really got into this performance (laughs) (laughs) Charles Barkley his physical acting pretending to forget basketball is really convincing yeah that was Patrick Ewing's whole like can't do like they do a really good job for non-comedic actors i'm like was bill murray giving you all tips on set because you guys were really doing quality yeah (laughs) quality vaudeville right there yeah it was really that every i mean and like i mean athlete acting can be so all over the place but it's like pretty consistently on point in this movie like it's michael jordan kills it charles barkley Um, is like i might disagree with that (laughs) michael jordan is a little clunky because i was watching him like he is he is wooden but when like he actually is having fun you can tell because i just feel like if i compare this to like the best the best I've ever done with this kind of concept is like still Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And like, yeah. mm-hmm. that was like acting with the cartoons. And like, oh, yeah. Michael Jordan is acting at the cartoons. <laughs> and so, but you know what? I expected a lot worse, to be quite frank, rewatching yeah, sure. it. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I guess, I guess in the framework of athletes acting, I just like, I wasn't expecting like Andy Circus green screen performance here i was just like i was like if the eyeline is hitting and there's like sort i was like wow amazing good the bar is low yes but it's funny because i've watched space jam so many times in my 20s but the last huge time i watched it was for like my 21st birthday i was Mm. like i just want us to get pizza and drinks and watch space jam and men in black back to back like i was like that's why i did like a perfect birthday and it was an excellent 21st birthday i was like this is it and it it went very well (laughs) what a great double feature yeah (laughs) truly should i do the recap uh, yeah, let's do let's it. Let's get into it. Okay, we'll get into this. Uh, this this uh, classic hero's journey narrative, uh, a tale as old as time, in which cartoon characters are about to be forced into amusement park servitude by aliens from outer space 
And then they recruit Michael Jordan to help them play basketball because if they win, they will not be abducted by aliens. So that why and why did they almost get abducted by aliens? Well, capitalism, (laughs) right? Like they're like, well, the way that Bugs Bunny like recaps their plight to Michael Jordan once he gets into the Looney Tunes world, you're like, that is kind of really bizarre (laughs) he's like well they were they were small so we were like we could probably do this but then it turned out they got big so now we're scared (laughs) he also explains the stakes to michael jordan he's like we're gonna be basically abducted into slavery in which we will have to do stand-up comedy every night and tell the same jokes over and over again (laughs) gasp <laughs> and then we'll have a There's... Netflix special that no one watches because right. Hannah Gatsby will have dropped hers and everyone will be like, well, that's actual content, not this Looney Tunes <laughs> thing again. <laughs> oh, good grief. Okay, anyway, so, so the story opens with uh, Michael Jordan as a child. He's very good at basketball and he's like, I'm going to play in college and then I'm going to be in the NBA. And then uh, his dad is like, do whatever you want. You can do it. And then it's kind of like the Michael Jordan legend, right? Like right. that was how mm-hmm. I learned about the Michael Jordan legend was as portrayed at the beginning of Space Jam. <laughs> With 100% right? accuracy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and then we cut to a five minute montage of him in the NBA like under the credits the opening credits it is very long especially as, as uh, because the last dance just came out i'm like I, yeah i know i know this right I know this. and i know what happens after <laughs> i have, have have either of you seen it i haven't had a chance to see it i haven't finished yeah. it but i started it um i okay. paused to watch this i'm like i don't want it to ruin my um interpretation <laughs> of space jam to know about michael jordan's gambling habits <laughs> well the the, I mean, it's a very generous documentary towards him, but it's really good. And the behind-the-scenes taste you get at the production of Space Jam is really fun. Oh, yeah. fun. All very pro Space Jam, the documentary. Oh, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> right? yeah. um, so anyway, we he as an adult, he's in the NBA until he announces his retirement from basketball to play professional baseball. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in outer space... The head of an amusement park called Moron Mountain, uh, a character voiced by Danny DeVito. Yep. (laughs) Excellent. Wayne Knight and Danny DeVito in the same movie. My God. How did we get so lucky? (laughs) How could we be so lucky? Um, He says, uh, what is his character's name? It's Hammer Smack or something. Mr. Sledgehammer? I just, that's what I called him. I was like, Danny DeVito, the creature. Couldn't tell you. Wait, now I need to know. I was like, Let me look it up. I forget. He's so Mr. Swackhammer. Okay, Mr. So Swackhammer. He's in the movie very little. There's at one point he's getting a massage at the basketball game, which I remember very clearly being mm. like, "Oh yeah, the villain is getting a a topless massage at the basketball game." <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, he's in it for like five minutes maybe, but um, but so is Lola Bunny. So there right, you. true. <laughs> and yet everyone um, hated her. <laughs> But Mr. whatever his name is, uh, is like, we need new attractions at this amusement park. We need something wacky, something loony. We need the Looney Tunes. (laughs) You're like, sure. Sure. Trademark Incorporated. (laughs) (laughs) Now, back on Earth, Michael Jordan is playing baseball. He's not great at it. He strikes out during his game. And then this guy, Stan, a.k.a. Wayne Knight, 
is like the team's publicist and he's like Michael let me know anything I can do to make you happy I'll do I'll give you rides to places I'll do your laundry he's just there to support Michael his name is literally yes he's Stan and he's a Michael Jordan Stan Stan (laughs) wow (laughs) we have no choice but to Stan Also, this just occurred to me, but I think this is a rare example of a white character who only exists in the story to serve a black character, because normally it is Mm -hmm. the opposite. Space Jam is woke. (laughs) Ish. (laughs) Um, So meanwhile, the Moron Mountain aliens arrive in Looney Tune world to try to abduct Bugs Bunny and his friends. Mm. And Bugs Bunny's like, you can't just do that. You have to give us a chance to defend ourselves. And the aliens are like, yeah, of course. We're reasonable. (laughs) We'll do that. And then the Looney Tunes decide that they should challenge them to a game of basketball. As you do. (laughs) And even though every Looney Tune is like, what's basketball? And then... (laughs) And then Bugs Bunny shows them a black and white video of basketball in the 1950s. And they're like, okay, we get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we're not up to that part yet, but it's so funny because they're like, these are like tiny guys. And then when they do like the sizes for the loons, it's like at three foot four. And I'm just like, y'all are not stunted out here. Like, calm down, Bugs. Like, If you think of a live action reboot, if you think of a rabbit that is three foot four, that is a gigantic rabbit that's a hair that's a hair at this point it's just like all right it's too big but even donnie relatively speaking in terms of (laughs) relatively speaking in terms of basketball players three foot two or whatever is still very short but the whole logic behind the looney tunes wanting to play basketball is that they look at the aliens and they're like well, they're so short and flimsy and small. Let's play basketball against them because we're sure to win. Right. And then that is the moment when you realize that an eighth grader wrote this screenplay. <laughs> no, there's. it is very funny to me that there are four credited writers on this screenplay. Like It takes four men to do. <laughs> it's a really long commercial, everybody. We needed four people. Uh <laughs> There, I loved, okay, a plot point that I forgot at the beginning is when the aliens get, I forgot how they get big, mm-hmm. and it's because they steal talent, mm-hmm. which yes. is stored in a Spalding-branded basketball, and Correct. then the alien brings the basketball back into the stands and it's like i did it i took their talent like, oh. it's like a weird thing like so it's like the, the the scouts of this corporation take these mostly black players steal their talent so that they can yeah. get other corporations and it's like wow it's like it's like it's like you don't know if it's like high brilliance or like high ridiculousness it's like yeah, and this evil corporation is going to take all of their talent so that they can abuse other people and absorb more of it. And it's like, it is the NBA. Like, Ooh. is it? I'm, it's so hard to tell what is completely sneaky brilliance and what is just a total mistake of like, <laughs> well, how are we going to get them big? Okay, they steal talent. <laughs> okay, so... Of the NBA players who get their talent stolen from them are Charles Barkley, mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing, and then three other 
people who I have no idea who they are. But if it were 1996, you would know. We would probably know Sean Bradley, Larry Johnson, and Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy okay. Bogues, I know, just because he's, like, one of the littler, littler players that, like, mm-hmm. was really popular yeah. then. And, like, as a – and I knew it wasn't a real Knicks game because I couldn't – or maybe uh, – I was looking for um, Spike Lee because he's always at New York oh, Knicks yeah. game. And I was like – he maybe was like, you can't put me in Space Jam. And I was like, did anyone ask him? Because what a cameo that would have been right? if, like, he's the he one. I know. It's like he should have been the one that, like, is, like, where the Everybody Loves Raymond wife is. I'm like, that should have been Spike Lee's role. He should have been there just being like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> the That moment with her is also so, like, I think it's it, it's definitely supposed to be funny, but it's very jarring. Her moment of, like... Because she, she's the one sitting next to the aliens when they steal the talent, yes. right? Yeah, and then yeah, she's yeah. like, I think someone's masturbating under their coat. And her husband's like, shut up! And you're like, <laughs> her husband, okay. her husband, her played husband. by Dan Castellaneta, who's famous for voicing a bunch of Simpsons characters, including yeah. like Homer, Krusty, Barney, etc. So, you know, it was nice to see his face mm-hmm. on screen for once, I guess. He also <sighs> filled in sure. for Robin Williams in the Aladdin television show and in Aladdin The Return of Jafar before Robin oh. Williams came back for Aladdin and the King of Thieves because I'm also an Aladdin wow. expert. So that also, you get two two things I can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't. I forgot that. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't come back. I I wonder if Robin Williams also kept his talent in a basketball. Oh, Ooh. or a lamp. <laughs> or a lamp. <laughs> what? <laughs> Personally, even though I'm not good at basketball, I keep my talent in a basketball just because it's a useful receptacle to keep your <laughs> talent. <laughs> Keeps it fresh. Yeah. Um, okay, so then the Looney Tunes and the Aliens start, I guess, like, they're kind of practicing for their upcoming game, but the aliens, using the talent that they stole from the NBA players, transform into these giant athletic monsters. So the Looney Tunes abduct Michael Jordan while he's playing golf with Bill Murray and Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. And they bring him to Looney Tunes land. My favorite part is when, like, after he gets absorbed in the hole and, like, Bill Murray's like, what kind of camera is that? And I'm just like, he's like, don't point it at me. I'm just like, the talent. (laughs) Which is the closest thing we get to them reacting at the sudden disappearance of Michael Jordan. They're just like, huh, wonder where he went. Maybe the camera had something to do with it. And then similarly, when Michael Jordan shows up in Looney Tune land, he's like, what's going on here? Like, the, like no reactions from these people. It's confusing. I, I was trying to justify that, too. I was like, well, we already know canonically in the movie he's a big Looney Tunes fan because he turns mm. it on for his kids and he goes, see and then he leaves mm-hmm. yeah and so you're like okay so he wouldn't well you know he's not we don't have time the movie's <laughs> only 70 minutes long right <laughs> which uh, what a what a length of time that a movie could be it's like man i miss those days this is in two hours and 45 minutes and that's including like the longest credit sequence and the longest closing credit se- like two five minute credit sequences <laughs> at the beginning and yep. end i love it mm-hmm <laughs> Um, okay, so then Bugs is like, hey, Michael Jordan, you have to help us. And then they hold 
tryouts for the Toon Squad basketball team. And all the Looney Tunes are terrible until Lola Bunny shows up to try out for the team. Shout out to a queen. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) And she's really good at basketball. Mm -hmm. And Bugs Bunny is like, hubba hubba, who's that? And we just have to breeze right past this for now because there's so, so, so much to unpack that we'll get into later. (laughs) But then the tunes, um, there's a scene where they have to go and pick up Michael's basketball gear from his house which is a scene I guess we needed um and then (laughs) you know I was like I like you know what sure sure they have to do this great well I will say this about this scene so I had the Space Jam video game for PlayStation and this is Mm. like a thing that you do in the game so this is like to me it's like this is just a sequence to like have the kids be with the Looney Tunes at the same time. Like, it's our target demographic and they should maybe get one moment of sure. glory. It's very <laughs> constructive. I remember watching, I'm like, so, not to jump ahead, I'm like, so it takes 50 minutes for them to actually start playing basketball. There's so mm-hmm. much set up in this movie and I'm like, I don't rem- I didn't remember it taking this long for us to get to the to the to the basketball bits. <laughs> yeah. It's also yeah, once we got to the basketball game, I'm like there has to be more than one basketball game, but it's just the one. Just it's the one. Just the one. <laughs> there, this the pacing in this movie is truly wild. Like I, but uh, Act One is fifty minutes long. There's no Act Two, and then Act Three is like <laughs> thirty minutes it took, long. It took me. It wasn't until Michael Jordan, in another brilliant acting moment, turned to the clock and he was like. There's 10 seconds left. I was like, wait a second. Is this the climax of the movie? <laughs> wait. And he says it so because he's like, you know, in a green screen room and who who would have prepared him for this moment? He doesn't say it with that much urgency. He's like, there's 10 seconds yeah, left. Yeah, because he's a terrible great. actor. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, he just says, great. There's 10 seconds left. I was like, oh my God, the movie's almost over. I didn't realize. <laughs> I thought there was a second game. I was wrong. I forgot. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the beginning of the game where the the Toon Squad is ready to play. The game begins. Lola made the team off screen. Right. There's a whole thing to talk about there. No one else tried out. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, The Monstars are beating the Looney Tunes pretty badly for like the first half of the game. Then during halftime, Stan, who has showed up, Wayne Knight, Mm. and he spies on the Monstars, and he's like, oh, they're winning because they stole the talent from these NBA players. Of course. Um, So that's a discovery. He also accepts this very passively. He's like, yes. So that's what happened. So that's what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess I better go tell Michael Jordan that this is what's happening. And then he tells Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan's like, oh. Oh, So that's what happened to those guys. I guess we'll just have to go from there. The humans are very passive in this movie. They're just yes. like, okay, well, let's think of a solution. Like, there's not a moment of like, what? Right. <laughs> so they start playing again, and the Looney Tunes are able to catch up in the score. And now they're only two points behind. But Michael Jordan says to the owner of the of Moron Mountain, who has been getting a massage, presumably this whole time, yes, says that, if the Looney Tunes win, if the Toon Squad wins, then the Monstars have to give their talent back to the NBA players. But if the Monstars win, they can have Michael Jordan for Moron Mountain. Um, so the stakes 
have been heightened. They heighten the stakes very <laughs> loud. And there's 10 seconds left. The stakes then, go right, from right. nothing to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan risks indentured servitude to save the Looney Tunes. <laughs> to save the single, Looney Tunes. Single tear runs down here and you're like, that's right, Michael. <laughs> Or as they keep referring to it in the movie, slavery. Slavery, yes. Um, so, yeah. okay. Um, so then they play the last 10 seconds. Oh, um, a lot of people have gotten injured, so they need a fifth player. Yeah, uh, Lola Bunny has required rescuing. We'll get to that. Right, Bugs yeah. Bunny gets squished and then, and then kissed. Mm-hmm. Wayne Knight has been squished and then inflated. Mm-hmm. And now... All Michael Jordan has to do is make his arm really long. Right. But first, uh, Bill Murray shows up again. Yes. Oh, thank and, God. And basically, <laughs> thank goodness, um, he's there to deus ex machina the plot. This doesn't and... do much for high, like changing the stakes, but no. he does show up. Just as a, the the fifth body that they needed. Yes. It just yeah. feels good. And also he has a line where like, oh yeah, they just dropped me in here. Like I have connections. I was just like, it's like... <laughs> I, I know the producer. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> so it's the last ten seconds. Michael Jordan outstretches his arm all cartoonishly, and they he scores the winning. No child will ever forget. Mm-mm. Like it's not. I mean, it's. I guess it's technically body horror, but for me, <laughs> it wasn't. I'm like, yeah, that's like superhero <laughs> shit. Yep. <laughs> um. So he scores the game-winning point. So the Toon Squad wins. The Monstars have to give their stolen power back, um, but not before they kick their boss's ass. Um, And then Michael Jordan brings the NBA players their talent back. He quits baseball and returns to basketball. And that is the story. (laughs) So (laughs) they're here. Michael Jordan gives the NBA players their talent back. And I mean, it's all the hero's journey beat by beat. I mean, nothing about it Joseph Campbell could say anything about. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then we will come right back to discuss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. And we're back. Uh, okay. Well, Great. where to start? Ooh. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, pr- Princess, kick it off. No, before we get into, like, like the, the Beck Deli parts, I wanted to say what's interesting is that, like, so the reason why Michael Jordan quit basketball to play baseball in real life is because his father had died three months prior and his father had Mm -hmm. played minor league uh i believe minor league baseball and that was like a Mm -hmm. whole way of him being able to like be close to him and be like pay tribute to him i mean he was also terrible at it and i appreciate that the movie shows that like he's really bad (laughs) but people just like him so much they're like good job michael i mean you failed but like (laughs) you look so good doing it and i just i watching that part again like that opening sequence is like really sad and touching in retrospect that he chose to like immortalize like his father's legacy in like a film for children that he probably made to show his own children so i just think that's kind of like has like a little bit of sweetness to um why he probably chose to make such a weird film (laughs) <laughs> when he absolutely did not have to make this movie no <laughs> so I learned um when I was watching the last dance that because I was I I didn't know I mean I knew a lot I guess like what I had absorbed through cultural osmosis about Michael Jordan's career but I didn't know like linear like you know the exact timeline until I watched the documentary and Space Jam comes at a like really interesting time in his career because I was like why besides money which we know Michael Jordan is like yeah he has a lot of it Uh, and besides legacy I was like is there any other reason that he did this movie and I guess a part of it is that Warner Brothers like provided him like he had a lot of stipulations in his contract of like shooting can't take up too much of his time because he was like retraining Mm -hmm. as he was shooting this movie so warner brothers like provided him with his own like private basketball court to use throughout production of this movie and like (laughs) i i guess that i don't know that the documentary would have you believe that this having this private space and having this very flexible schedule um, was part of what allowed him to make a huge 
comeback uh because he was like this movie was shooting as he was kind of like relaunching his basketball career which is mm-hmm. interesting i don't know there <laughs> there wasn't a negative word said about space jam and it sounds like everyone had the time of their lives and it was good bonding for everybody it's just so wholesome. Michael and Bugs are our best friends to this day. That, yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> I I love I actually that makes me happy because because uh, of Michael Jordan's reputation, you could think that he could have been I mean, they could probably they might not have said it, but he could have been a real diva on set. Sure. But it sounds like that wasn't the case and to like have it pull in so many other really famous and like in their prime NBA players to be like, do you want to just be silly in like a children's movie for like mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole like 20 minutes? I was like, it's, it's, that's one of the things I like about this movie. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And like a lot of the things that were like are weird about it, I was like, as a kid, I remember thinking like, oh yeah, like I totally believe the Looney Tunes just live like a billion feet below ground. Like, <laughs> right. and also like, I don't know, I think about how- like hell, right? right. <laughs> it's also like implied that they live in hell. Right, <laughs> which means in, like, more on mountain, is more on mountain heaven then? <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't help but wonder, like if that, if I, some, if something happened to me and like I got, like I was pulled from the Bechdel cast and it's like, oh, you need to help the Looney Tunes, like, you know, win an anime contest. A part of me would be like, what the hell is going on? But a part of me was like, this is kind of awesome. So I think I will do this. Just roll with it. <laughs> it's like, if this is a fever dream, I don't want to be awakened from it. <laughs> the Looney Tunes, they like came into Michael's life at a pivotal moment in his life. And he's like, all right, you know, everything happens for a reason. So <laughs> here I am. I, I, it's very the secret, the way he approaches the mm. plot of this movie. It's like, I manifested this. So let's just... <laughs> let it happen i i mean the so i guess one of the more fun and bizarre and princess you've already like we've sort of been talking about it already is the fact that this movie which it never i don't know i'd never framed it this way in my head but the more i was reading about production and then just watching it you're like this is a 75 minute commercial like this is top to bottom a very effective and entertaining marketing ploy for so many things that I almost Mm. lost count. It's like Mm -hmm. relaunching the Looney Tunes into like the popular zeitgeist. It is a commercial for Michael Jordan's comeback. It's a commercial for the NBA. It's a commercial for 500 different brands that they mentioned. It's like, it's a commercial for so many things to the point where the director, Joe uh, Pitka, He's only directed two movies ever, and then he's directed 500 commercials. He's a mm-hmm. commercial director who has, <laughs> like, all... He's only directed commercials, including... And music videos. Um, so he's, like, a marketing guru. He's not necessarily, like, your traditional auteur filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He has he had previously made commercials with Michael Jordan. He had directed a number of Michael Jackson music videos. Like, he was an iconic marketer and Mm -hmm. the fact that he's hired for this is like well this movie is like is selling you a lot of stuff all at once and people bought all of it like yeah there's there's a there's a line where like stan goes to mike he's like you know put on your hanes lace up your nikes get your gatorade you know eat your your yeah and i'm just like (laughs) i know and and i'm just like and it came out so weirdly organically but as an adult i'm like oh that's so funny but as a kid i would like 
yeah, 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 do the thing. And I've never <laughs> eaten Wheaties before in my life, but I know I've seen him on boxes of Wheaties. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, he, of course you would eat cereal with your face on it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, in retrospect, Wayne Knight is just listing off various Michael Jordan endorsement deals. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this was a business thing. And then they're also like, you know, if we're putting like, you know, the Looney Tunes versus Disney cartoons, Looney Tunes are far sillier and far more aware, like self-aware that they are cartoon characters that are owned by a company. But it's also very on display in this movie because there's that like shot where Daffy Duck is showing that he has like a Warner Brothers tattoo on yeah. his ass and then he kisses it. <laughs> he kisses and he's like, ass. I love being property of the Warner Brothers company. And you're just like, this movie is so weird because it is so flagrantly pro-capitalism but it also seems to be making fun of it and critiquing it in moments but then you're like but is it i don't know i don't know it's right. weirdly pro-union like they bring up so much time like he's like <laughs> it's like we're, we're having a cartoon union members uh discussion about what's gonna happen yes. and i'm like wow like <laughs> you're like wait they have a union meeting in hell where they live <laughs> there's also a moment where um Bugs says something like, hey, you know all that, like, posters and lunchboxes and stuffed animals that have our faces on them? Have we ever seen any money from that? And Daffy's like, yeah. not a cent. <laughs> We're getting screwed. I was like, oh, my gosh. These but I love the Warner Brothers. Wah, wah, wah. The ass <laughs> tattoo. I did not remember the ass tattoo shot. And it really <laughs> stuck with me this time around. And, like, even to get into Looney Tunes hell, you have to pass through a Warner Brothers logo. Right. Right. so branded on top of branded on top of branded it's mm-hmm. like it's wild and it's a commercial for uh university of north carolina yeah <laughs> with the, the, those shorts yeah <laughs> i wash uh-huh. them after every game it's like... yeah, and michael's dad is like wow that's a good school at the very beginning so like, yeah <laughs> get a good education there son <laughs> <laughs> there are so many elements of essentially 1996 on display mm-hmm. in this movie, but it's just like a period of such flagrant spending and capitalism and like glorifying that uh, in a way that the movie is a, like, I think that maybe that's what hits a little different for me. Like looking back on it is most movies that are really glorifying capitalism don't seem quite as aware of it as this movie repeatedly references that it is very aware that it is selling you something and they'll break the fourth wall to sell you something they'll (laughs) have an ass tattoo to sell you something and so it's like everyone is so aware of what they're doing because they're commercial directors like it's just i don't know it's fascinating there's nothing else like it that's this popular or long <laughs> and has been so wow. successful like i always say that like yeah. space jam is like a black movie because i feel like it does tap into that like hip-hop culture loves looney tunes like jay-z wrote a whole bugs bunny rap and helped curate the soundtrack for this movie and mm-hmm. like that is like it's everyone loves it in that sense but like i think like the black community and like the hip-hop community really latched onto the aesthetics of this like space jam like i'll see like bugs bunny hoodies taz like daffy like those characters are very much tied to that and i think that even by like just putting michael jordan in a production of that just kind of shows how Michael Jordan, the public figure, had sort of been elevated to this place of, like, success. Because I can't, because even now I'm like, you know, the next time they made this kind of, like, 
crossover Looney Tune movie, it was like with like Brendan Fraser at like the end of his career. And it didn't <laughs> go well at all. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like, you really can't imagine someone besides like a Beyonce with her now with her Disney stuff being a, like a black celebrity being attached to like such a brand this popular. Cause like it's a risk mm-hmm. for Warner Brothers too to be like, yeah, we're gonna make this a movie where like most of the people who are actually people in this are like black people. Mm-hmm. And like the black actors are hold most of the power yeah. um, of and, and influence. And like you were saying, Caitlin, like that Wayne Knight is completely, his plot is completely subservient and dependent mm-hmm. on whatever it is Michael Jordan is doing. If Michael Jordan is dragged to hell by cartoons, Wayne Knight must go to hell <laughs> to rescue him. Like, yeah. And then we've got like Bill Murray, who's just like, can I be in the NBA too? <laughs> like, that's his whole thing. And then he's like, is it because I'm white? And they're like, and then George's like, Larry's white. He's like, Larry's not white. Larry is clear. Very <laughs> 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 funny. The, and, and even like Bill Murray seems to sort of be playing himself where like his whole persona is that I just show up. I'm just around. I'm at your wedding. I'm at mm. your house. And so he's sort of like, I'm at Space Jam. I'm in the movie <laughs> playing myself. Why? Yeah. I don't know. So he's like also just doing Bill Murray. And yeah. doesn't he also play himself in Zombieland? I feel like there are several movies where yeah. he plays himself. But I'll say he did a much better, like when I remember in Zombieland, there's a line where, where they're like, they ask him like, do you regret anything? And he says Garfield. I'm like, that's right. Cause he knows Space Jam <laughs> is like up there in like the top 10 of what he's done. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> it is so, I mean, and, and it's, it's good to have Bill Murray in the mix for the green screen scenes too. Cause I feel like I found out that the, the people who are playing the Monstars for for michael jordan to play against were people from groundlings they just put groundlings people in green screen suits and they're like run play basketball with michael jordan and then so like a bunch of improv heads from the like the 90s were just running around like with michael jordan in mm-hmm. burbank yeah this is just something that happened uh <laughs> which is like, they were the stand-ins for so the looney tunes and then they hired pro basketball players to be to like be Sorry, the stand-ins yes. for the monsters yeah for the monsters yeah but mm-hmm. for for like lola bunny was like a groundling in a green screen suit <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then michael jordan had to be like wow this girl has skills <laughs> <laughs> amen um let's take a quick break a quick time out and then we will be right back witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? 
M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. And we're back. Uh, and we had just mentioned Lola Bunny. Which is a good transition to talk about, like, the the weird place that Lola occupies as, like, the token chick who yeah. was, like, invented to be the new token Looney Tunes chick and how, like, as someone who's always really attached and love that character i'm really interested to see what you guys have to have to say Mm. about her because i i'm very well endeared to her oh and i was i mentioned i want to say this so the biggest reason why i love lola besides all the things that i think are like you know can be problematic about her is that there is something about seeing the only other good player on this basketball team Mm -hmm. is a female character because the WNBA had just formed in 1996, yes. the year this movie came out, and they wouldn't play another game until next year, uh, yeah. the year after this. And, like, you get the scene with, like, Charles Barkley, like, going up against those women, and they, like, dominate him, and they're like, you're a scrub, get out of here. And, like, <laughs> Lola's, like, the most competent player on mm-hmm. the team, but yet, whenever I read, like, critiques of her, they're always like, she's too sexy and I just don't know I guess it's because I don't really look at her and sexualize her instantly that I always Mm -hmm. was like is that really like a problem with like her or is it just like that a lot of men of that age will just assign sex to boobs and then it's just like okay we're gonna go from there but I would love to hear what you guys think about it because I know (laughs) it's like one of those hashtag things (laughs) it is I I am also very attached 
to Lola because it's like and it's weird because I, I feel like in like rewatching it for this recording I'm realizing that I projected things onto Lola that maybe weren't actually there because mm-hmm. she's not she's she's on screen for a total of five minutes mm-hmm. yeah. she doesn't come in until almost 40 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. so I think that I like because she is like the female character who is active I projected so much onto her that like is sort of there but also kind of isn't where I view her to be like really important in this moment where like you're saying princess like women's athletics are actually being televised at this point and they're actually like being spotlighted but there's still a lot of like there was like a controversy around this time where uh when like men were narrating stuff going narrating i don't know how sports work but like commentating i think yeah commentating commentating. (laughs) Uh, negging (laughs) negging during the olympics like they would only refer to women just using their first names and kind of infantilizing them and commenting on their bodies all the time so it was like women were actually being shown but they still weren't being treated with respect and it feels like Lola kind of exists in that same space where Mm -hmm. she is like a gifted basketball player. She knows this. She is active in like asserting this for herself, but she's still presented so sexually. And I don't like, it's hard because it's like, that's not her fault. It it fucks with my head, right? Because it's like, (laughs) this is a female character who is created by 500 men and and conceived for this movie she did not exist in looney tunes canon prior to this movie right she was created to be on this basketball team so anything so this is like there's no prior canon for her so she's very much a product of this exact time and i do feel like i like re i watched her introduction scene like four or five times just to just to catch everything and i don't know i feel like there are it has a lot of like 1990s like feminism about it because I feel like she is saying one thing and then like she's doing another thing or she's like there's that moment where she walks in and she's like I want to try out for the basketball team look what I can do but then the way that she's animated is like she's moving in a way to like titillate Mm -hmm. other characters it's just so it's really confusing. You can tell that they're very much pulling from Jessica Rabbit mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to like, you know, with this movie format. I don't, oh, I love her so much. I love her so, so much. hard. Lola Bunny is the Megan Fox of Looney Tunes to me because there's that <laughs> element of like, it's like the thing of like framing versus action. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then at the same time, I think of like, you know what the thing that bugs me is i remember one reviewer kept on like she's got bunny boobs and i just kept thinking like why are you guys so weird about sexy female animals i don't understand it because <laughs> uh-huh. like like as someone who like i remember watching like the lion king 2 simba's prime thing and like kovu is kind of hot for like a lion but i don't like Very sexualize cute. him like in gargoyles you have goliath who is like a male anthropomorphic lizard person in a loincloth but that doesn't distract Mm. you from like all the other (laughs) things that that character does it's like obviously a hottie but like here to do (laughs) gargoyle things and the thing about lola i think you hit on so well is that she is kind of like that girl power like don't call me doll thing but she Mm -hmm. also has to be an object of the lust for 
bugs, which is weird because you can tell that she's like, oh, you're cute, but you called me a name that I don't like, so I have to like disrespect you to your face. And then he's like, I'm into it, which makes me respect bugs a little bit. But it is that, <laughs> but it is weird because then later on, she's the only character you see not get injured on screen. Yes, right. okay. Yeah, which bothers me more than her being rescued. But yeah, the, the way that cartoon violence is dealt with in this movie and the way that the female characters are designed, we've talked about this with animated movies before, where mm -hmm. it's like uh, the way that male-identified cartoons can be designed almost in any way and they can look super goofy or they can be really tall, really short. There's any amount of body diversity that can exist within male-coded cartoons. Mm -hmm. But when it's a female-coded cartoon... That is not the case. It looks like a sexualized human woman, period. Yeah. And the violence is much the same. Like, she's she's not squished in the way... Like, she's not treated... The same rules of gravity mm -mm. don't apply to her. It's very There's strange. really nothing... She's not loony. It's a matter of, like, yeah, like, the, the same rules don't apply to her. I actually... Okay, I kind of want to, like, take the few beats that she has in this movie, just sort of, like, beat by beat, examine them, because... <sighs> yeah. Like you said, Jamie, she shows up in the movie about 40 minutes in for the first time um, because they're, all the Looney Tunes are in there's a gym. There's so much plot. Yeah, there's, there's so, much, so plot. much exposition before this. They're in a gym preparing for the game. Like they're all playing, they're all proving to be very bad at basketball. And Michael Jordan says, Has anyone around here played basketball before? And then Lola Bunny shows up and she says, I have. Bugs Bunny is immediately attracted to her. He has like hearts in his eyes. I have a lot to say about that too. Because yes. Bugs Bunny is not like a hyper like sexual creature. The history, right? Like, yeah. but Bugs Bunny wasn't like testosterone-y, like super hetero, over masculinized before this movie. It's just so mm -hmm. 1990s. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> right. No. So, so he's patronizing and sexist to her because uh, he says something like, want to play a little one-on-one -on -one doll? Basically being like, want to mm -hmm. go fuck me right now? Please, doll. <laughs> Please, doll. And she's like, um, I'm about to just dominate your ass right now yes. for the culture. Right, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, she's infuriated by this suggestion of his and her, like, you know, fire springs up in her eyes. Well, she says she's infuriated, but then the way she's framed implies that she is not infuriated. It's so confusing. Right. I, uh, <laughs> it is, like, Megan Fox is the perfect comparison of, like, like on paper, what Michaela Banks says is very oh, cool, this is a motivated female character. But then the way you see her doesn't back that up. It's so confusing. There's like an identical moment in the first Transformers movie where like her <laughs> sexist boyfriend, Megan Fox's sexist boyfriend, says something like, get in the car, little bunny. I think he calls her a bunny. Yeah. And then she says like, <gasps> I can't bunny. tell you how much I'm not your little bunny. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Whoa. maybe a reference to Space Jam? There you Who go. Knows? Legend. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Transformers and Space Jam alike proceed to really over sexualize her the rest of the time and you know there's a we can talk about her character design more but um back to back to the story beats so she dominates him in basketball proves to be the only good tune player she leaves bugs says oh she's obviously nuts about me and then Michael Jordan, on the, on the other hand, is like, that girl's got some skills. Feminist so, icon. Michael feminist Jordan. icon Michael Jordan, <laughs> recognizing a woman's talent. Wow, that girl has skills. Right. First blind read. No second take. Incredible. Oscar wow, worthy. that girl has skills. <laughs> so 
She's only on screen in this scene for probably like 20 seconds. And then Tweety Bird also says she's hot. And, and also Tweety doesn't not- have sex. Tweety doesn't believe in sex. Please. I was so disgusted by that. I was like, he is a sexless character. You're just like, why is Tweety horny? I didn't <laughs> like asexual icon. Tweety Bird did not need to be dragged into this. Like, just like, <laughs> just like let him be. Let them be. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <Let> <laughs> That is, of all the weird things that happened in that scene, that is the worst part for me, is Tweety Bird going, yeah. whoa, she is hot. You're yeah. like, Tweety, this is, let's Tweet. not do this. <laughs> it's not. I find it better from you. Who do you think? <laughs> I know. Um, I thought you were an ally, <laughs> So then, um, as I think, Jamie, it was you who mentioned that she, off screen, gets a spot on the basketball team. We don't see yeah. this. This is never made clear that she like officially makes the team because the focus of the scene quickly shifts back to, you know, Bugs Bunny's sexual attraction to her rather than her basketball skills. Although I do feel like in an inadvertent way, I will give the movie a little credit by saying, you know, she has to be infinitely more skilled to be on the team mm-hmm. than her male counterparts who do not know how to play basketball. At all. At all. At all. But that falls into the, there's this trope, and I don't know what it's called, but it's basically when any narrative will have one main female character, she's surrounded by more or less only other men. What is it? Yeah. The Smurfette principle? Yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. So she's shown to be super competent. She is usually very conventionally attractive. Um, but ultimately never gets to do that much except, you know, maybe have a few kick-ass cool lady moments and then the rest of the movie will be about someone else. Like, she falls squarely into that for me. And that's even in that, like, I feel like there's a million versions of the, like, Lola Bunny entrance moment when she, you know, like, Bugs Bunny is clearly not expecting her to be good at basketball. Mm -hmm. And then every, you know, like, man on the court has to be like, whoa she did thing like yeah which happens all i feel like it's most common in like action movies where it's like Mm -hmm. what that mick sweeney's article we can't stop citing for (laughs) 500 years where it's like i am woman and i kick and then when when she kicks everyone goes oh my (gasps) god she made a kick and and i guess she hangs out with us now because she made a kick yeah Uh, but mostly she'll just be you know a love interest Mm -hmm. yes but she's a really good basketball player. I know. And it's a weird thing because, like, when I think about the mostly male critics I've heard, like, scathe Lola, they'll be like, she's just an excessive character that, like, doesn't fit into the movie. And I'm like, she's on screen for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yet you have whole think pieces about how she ruined Space Jam for you or like how she ruined Bugs Bunny. And it's like, I think it's fair to critique, as Jamie points out, like how they use Lola to sexualize Bugs in a way that like, I think he only had one other girlfriend before named Honey Bunny, who basically just looks exactly like Bugs Bunny, but in drag. Mm-hmm. But like overall, he's always like playing the seductress or something like in his own self as like a wacky character. And the mm-hmm. only way they knew how to introduce a female Male character was to be like well she has to date somebody um right and so you right. have this catch-22 where like you can't spend a lot of time on this character that no one came to see but you have to do enough to establish their presence and because they have chosen to make lola the girlfriend mm-hmm. they have to spend one of her five minutes of fame 
in having a scene in which she gets rescued by bugs, which wouldn't yes. even bother me as much, because we'll get to it in a second. It wouldn't even bother me as much if she had a wacky moment anywhere in between that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, where it's like she is set up in this huge way where you hope that you're going to get some sort of B plot with her that is not the love story, but she doesn't get that. You know, most of the things that happen with her seem to happen off screen. And then, yeah, you get this big moment at the end where she has to be rescued by bugs. That was the moment where I realized, I'm like, oh, the rules of gravity that apply to the Looney Tunes are not extended to her <laughs> for some reason. And then she has to go over to Bugs and say, you're the nicest guy I've ever met. And now I give you the kiss that you've earned by being squished. <laughs> and then she kisses him. And it's it's just like, yeah, she deserved a better landing point than that. Because we, I do appreciate that at very least you get to see her like be very skilled. She contributes a lot to the game. Mm -hmm. She's like a big reason of why they catch up. She's like the second best player in the team after Michael Jordan. So that's <laughs> pew, not pew. nothing. Yeah. Maybe she's even better than Michael Jordan. IDK. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she can do, she could jump much higher than him because she is a bunny. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> but you're right. Especially because we established that like they don't hurt for a long time so it's not as if her getting squished would matter because she's gonna be fine <laughs> because she's a cartoon right. character and like that's right and that's the that, like there's a lot of things that i don't really have issues with with lola but that is the that is literally the only thing that i hate about mm -hmm. how her character is conceived is like and even the rescuing i don't i wouldn't mind because i don't think that being rescued one time inherently invalidates like a female character's agency but it's like mm -hmm. it's because there is nothing else that shows that she has the yeah. same versatility of harm because they harm the grandma they 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 um yeah. they harm the grandma oh we have no issue harming older women yeah no and like you know the witch was in there that she would absolutely get her ass kicked but it's like mm -hmm. lola's like the hottie so she can't even like have like a weird uh boob like uh clamp like jessica rabbit did in that one scene it's like it's like nope yeah, yeah and even the way she's like introduced in the game small forward standing at a scintillating three foot two the, like you're just like the heart throb of the hoops i like i want to give the movie credit and be like they're commenting on how commentators treat female athletes but absolutely there's no way that's the truth that's no. just how people were commenting on female athletes at this time right and the same thing with her i mean Granted, iconic. Did I Google Lola Bunny crop top just to see if there's some available in my area today? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but her uniform is, let's say, perhaps different from everyone else's, and like the reasons are, and and it's it is like that thing where I'm like, I love the uniform, I want it, but it's there for a very specific reason. I like a lot of like '90s female heroes that we were kind of brought up with there's some real like good at the core and then the way the plot treats this character is generally not fair i don't blame like lola bunny for any way that mm -mm. she's treated it's the characters around her and the way that the story treats her that is my issue mm -hmm. and it's yeah. weird. i i was looking up because this is i mean i feel like you know creating a new canon looney tunes character is a huge opportunity they've existed since the 1930s like this is like over 60 years into a very you know the looney tunes have 
I mean, we can brush on it, but a very sordid history. Yeah. Uh, and and there's you know there's like this fame these famous eleven racist Looney Tune cartoons that have been buried, but then they were like, we're gonna release it on DVD, and then everyone was like, don't do that, Why? and then they said, okay. Uh, <laughs> but but the Looney Tunes have this whole like history going back all this time, so introducing a new character is a huge opportunity to make a statement and like do something new and different and it doesn't really go that far especially when like the most recognizable and familiar looney tunes characters are all male yeah yeah there aren't many female looney tunes period like i think i think even with tiny tunes when they had that show they only had like I think one or two female characters and it was like the female Elmer Fudd type and then like mm. another like proto Lola Bunny type. It goes back to like those uh, Anita Sarkeesian videos from 10 years ago where it's like just making the Mrs. version of an existing male character. Right. Throw a bow on her head and right. now she's uh, now we have another character. Mm-hmm. And which was like uh, you know Bugs Bunny's original girlfriend at least Lola Bunny is an original character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I did a little bit of reason because i was like what has lola done since space jam this is a topic that i'm excited to get into because i have like (laughs) i'm very so i'm very new to this i did not know a ton about the second iteration of lola bunny but it is fascinating and very telling where so she is brought back in 2012 in a big way for the looney tunes show this time she's voiced by Kristen wig and her character is somehow stripped of agency significantly significantly (laughs) yeah where uh, i'll just read off her character description as opposed to her personality in space jam she is portrayed as a scatterbrained indecisive gabby young rabbit who tends to obsess over bugs whom she refers to as bun bun she is very dedicated to achieving goals but oftentimes tends to forget what she was doing like it's just she is portrayed as being obsessed with bugs and he has no interest in her and he tells her to go away all the time it it like what it I, <laughs> oh my god i can't even tell you how this infuriated me because i would see male critics that hated Lola Bunny and Space Jam be like, the Looney Tunes show fixed Lola. They finally made her Looney. And so <gasps> no. I went to go walk. And this is why I don't trust people who don't like Lola for like that are men sometimes. Because I'm just like, I can't trust you because your opinions are whack. Because then I go to like watch this show and I'm excited. I'm like, okay, Lola. And then she's like obsessed with Bugs Bunny. And so I was like, so was this the problem that you had with Lola? That like she's the one who doesn't really care about Bugs until like he does something for her? that should make her care because you guys seem to be totally fine with her just being like completely obsessive with him and like oh well now she's wacky i hated it and i hated <laughs> how i saw so many people be like ah finally because for me in between that period there were these comics with lola bunny where she was like a pizza delivery girl which is like mm. really weird but i have one of them somewhere and she got to be basically like a mischievous like bunny who was trying to trick people like i think she delivers some pizzas and they don't want to tip her and she was like oh i want to torture you until you tip me and i'm just like worker <laughs> rights yes tip your delivery person but like i was like okay so when they bring back lola that's how she's gonna be that she's gonna be like an she's actual been, like, demoted yeah she's gonna be like a zany character that like is on the level of bugs and then they just made her an obsessive girlfriend who like broke down bugs until he, he liked her and i'm like that's the kind of female that's usually like the opposite of the smurfette there's always like 
the Smurfette character that everyone wants to date, and then like the loser girl usually has pigtails that like really wants to date the lead character, and they're like, not you, childhood friend. I want the mm-hmm. other one. And I was just like, this is not how you revamp a character that was kind of very male gazy. This is not the way to do it. Right. It's it is. I mean, it, and it speaks to a lot of. I mean, issues at large, but also specifically in animation, where it is just it is still so cis het white male dominated in so many ways that it it and it has improved over time. But the fact that like sixteen years after this movie came out, that this character could somehow be forced backwards <laughs> speaks to how there has not been a ton of progress in the animation space uh, of how like really any non cishet white male coded character is treated and it has possibly slid backwards in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I was so disappointed <laughs> yeah. to, to learn that. I'd never seen that 2012 Looney Tunes iteration. Well, I would argue that that evolution of her character that we see over the years is hinted at by the end of Space Jam. And again, this is not a critique of her character so much as it is a critique of how the movie frames and treats her. But in the game, we don't see her play that much because there's, you know, they have to give screen time to all the Looney Tunes and see all the little things that they get into. But there will be a few cutaways to, you know, her dribbling or making shots and stuff. And then there's one moment in particular where... One of the monsters is like, try to get by me, doll. And then she does get past him using her basketball skills and she scores. And then she says, don't ever call me doll, which is the same exact thing that, you know, Bugs Bunny did to her, except she's about to fall in love with him because the next thing that happens is like the he saves her and then she's so enamored uh, by being rescued. And she's like, that's the nicest thing that ever that anyone's ever done for me. She kisses him. And then a little bit later in the movie, he surprise he surprise kisses her, but she's all like hubba hubba. She's like, I'm your she girlfriend goes, now. She goes, yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, that's like 1990s feminism is just catchphrase feminism. It's just repeating an aphorism that sounds empowering but actually isn't, and then going and then kissing the male lead and going to the next scene. Well, right, but that like even over the course of those few scenes, like it feels to me like her character gets demoted because, like, again, the focus shifts away from her basketball skills to being rescued by a male character kissing him he's kissing her the focus shifts to like their romance and that's the last we see of her like because even to to do it like my it's weird because i'm like i also really like them together just because i feel like i'm just a child and i'm just like they're cute but i do like (laughs) the one part in between that is like after she like dunks on the monster guy bugs comes up to her and is like nice shot and they high five and yeah, I'm just like, yeah. and I'm just like, and I'm just like, and that is the moment where he respects women. And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> by doing the bare uh, minimum, like in between, like yes. in, be- in between, he was like, all right, I read bell hooks in between <laughs> what happened, and I recognize that I respect you, and it's like. <laughs> so funny it's it it, i like it's it's so 90s in the way it addresses like progress of yeah very bare minimum and very catchphrasey and i think it also says a lot and contextualizes lola a lot when you're also considering that this movie is a commercial and not 
you know, necessary. I mean, there it is very artful. It is there's a lot of amazing art involved, but it was mm. you know art wasn't the top priority in the production <laughs> yeah. of this movie. It was it was marketing, and so. I feel like it, it says a lot about the marketing of this time, too, in the way that Lola is presented. Maybe if you're making an arthouse Bugs Bunny film, which, God willing, I would love to see. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, Lola is created from character design to character choices to every way she's presented is marketing. Mm-hmm. And so this also speaks to, like, what needed to appear on merchandise to sell at this time. And, you know, it it was titties who's rabbit titties <laughs> you know they, they they did the thing and it's weird because it's too the other thing i think is interesting is that like i found that like when i would talk to my female friends at that age group that loved lola they just lo- they loved her because she was a girl and they liked mm-hmm. seeing yeah. a girl in that environment and i like as much as i i totally agree about like we should absolutely critique girl power feminism because it was like marketed so heavily kind of like how just feminism is now it's like it's just very easy for people to be like empowerment pew 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 (laughs) and it's like yes i'll give you money now but i think what was always really telling for me is like even within that realm of critique that the boys only ever saw her as sexual that i knew and the girls were Mm -hmm. like i like having a cool girl that plays basketball in this movie and her being Mm -hmm. hot was just kind of like oh well female characters are supposed to be hot in animation and I think it's kind of that catch-22 because now, as an adult, <laughs> I'm sitting here like, I really like this character. I wish she hadn't been Michaela in Transformers where, like, she's clearly supposed to be empowered. And I don't even, like, and I always say this, I, as a black feminist, I don't care that she's a love interest of Bugs or that, like, that's part of her character because it's like, you know, Daisy's a, a Daisy is also a feminist queen, and she's often with Daffy. But I think that it's the fact that they clearly were afraid to go all out with her character. They were mm-hmm. clearly afraid to like make her be ugly, and they also didn't want to give her too much screen time because she's also mm-hmm. hashtag a, a, like new kid on the block. So it's like you don't want to take away too much attention from like the true star of this movie, Daffy Duck. Um, who is my, who remains unmatched. He has the best bars. Um, but it's like, it puts, it puts us in a place where like, we have to extra critique things that were always supposed to like be for us, but were like made by a committee of like men. Right. Right. What do, what do girls want and how can we just make boys tolerate it? And then you get Lola Bunny. Yeah. A super competent female athlete who also can be like a love interest which I think is also an interesting thing in the context of like female sports because Mm -hmm. female athletes are so hyper masculinized in real life compared to like Lola who is like hyper sexualized and it's it's weird it's not anything but it's just interesting for me to see sure but then you still have to make sure that we have a silhouette of her going like to the side so that you can see that she's got like bunny titties and like bunny booty and i'm which like... <laughs> cat facts is about to pay off finally Ooh. after all Ooh, these yes. years here um, it is if lola bunny was animated to be and designed to be anatomically correct oh my god she would have six titties ten titties ten titties Whoa. Yes. that crop top would have been lit <laughs> that would have been thrilling if there were like we have this 10-titty rabbit who's entering, <laughs> and she's amazing at basketball. I mean, can you imagine 
how ex- like how thrilling it would have been <laughs> to be like this rabbit is not just a gifted basketball player she has 10 rabbit titties like <laughs> she what can't she do right <laughs> i love that <laughs> well here's some some thoughts from space jam animation director tony oh, Servone. yeah said yeah. that lola was intended originally to be more of a tomboy but the production team feared that she would appear too masculine, so the animators emphasized her feminine attributes, quote-unquote. I think that Gross. in that quote, the use of the word tomboy is very loaded. I feel like yeah. when, when men in the 90s used the word tomboy, it the definition is a little skewed, and there's like a little bit of subtext to it. And it has more to do with, like, by tomboy, we mean not sexualized, like, (laughs) as opposed to the actual, like, use of the word in the 1990s. Right. They're like, she would have looked like Tatum O'Neill instead of, like, you know, Kim Possible. They were like, yeah, we were going to give her, like, a a baseball cap that goes backwards, you know. (laughs) She's going to have, like, a little, like, a, like, a, like, a um, (laughs) band-aid across her eye. Just like, yeah, I'm hardcore. (laughs) And then uh, going at that, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but just it is kind of frustrating where it seems like the 1990s treatment on Bugs Bunny is also frustrating to me because Bugs Bunny is, I think, kind of was in retrospect considered to be at certain points a pretty like progressive character in terms of like a cartoon character that played around with gender quite a bit. And Mm -hmm. was not disempowered for playing around with gender. And so there was like, there's a number of classic Bugs Bunny cartoons where he's in drag and he's basically a very empowered character in drag. He is not the butt of a joke. He is like using it like just because and he looks hot and it's (laughs) exciting. And there's Mm -hmm. like that whole Wayne's World quote of like, were you ever like titillated by like what is the what is the quote i think on. it's I had uh, it down. It, yeah it's garth did you like, ever find bugs bunny attractive when he put on a dress and played a girl bunny like it was iconic that this character played around with gender it even gets mentioned in um the documentary disclosure about like how trans people saw that representation on screen and to some degree and in some cases like felt empowered by that Mm-hmm. And so for the 1990s, like relaunch of Bugs Bunny to be the opposite of that and to be mm-hmm. so intensely heterosexual coded to the point where he like it is is like kind of selling that character out in, mm-hmm. in a kind of bummer way where it's like there's already so much established canon that this is like a gender nonconforming character. And then they again kind of like rolled that back much like they did with lola bunny later on mm-hmm. <sighs> like it would have been so much fun if they had done like a jesse james thing from pokemon and like i know there's like another new Toon show where lola is more like bugs in terms that she's more of a mischievous character than like boy crazy look yeah so i'm gonna go watch that later and it's like the same voice actress from is that like the hbo max like the new one i think so it looks that's what it looks like or let me see i have the wikipedia's in front of me so i don't know why i'm like i don't know it came out oh yeah it came out from like um 2015 to 2020 i had never heard of it um but apparently she's a lot more like she has more tune qualities and she's more designed to be like 
She's more boxy in design, so she looks more like a tune. Um, but she's okay. got more of the autonomy and agency she had from Space Jam. Does she have ten titties though? She doesn't have ten titties though. <laughs> but they all. But yeah. but it was funny because I was like, when I was watching it, I was thinking this is the first time I've ever seen Bugs and Daffy wear pants. I was like, usually oh, they're, yeah. just, they're just out to the out and about. Um, but uh, this time they had to wear uh, pants. Uh, but I would love for them to have Lola play with gender too. Like it'd be so cool if they went out on a date, but both in drag. Yeah, Warner Brothers, hire me. I'm giving you free ideas for Space Jam too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I agree, and I think it's also, I think the thing about bugs in that iteration what i've kind of noticed from what i think a lot of like cishet men feel about bugs is that they like that he's like he's like an ultimate male type you know like he's smart he's clever in a situation like and i think that a lot of people a lot of dudes i saw were like there's no way that bugs would be like whipped by some girl and i'm just mm-hmm. like i don't know why you care so much dude <laughs> like i mean like i don't i just it's so it's but i also agree it's weird that they like picked bugs to be the one to have a girlfriend when daffy is thirsty every day and would, mm-hmm. would that boy love to have a sip of water and i think <laughs> Daffy was like canonically the horniest, and so like I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. Bring in Daphne Duck. Daphne. Right. Wow. I think he has a girlfriend. More free too, material, yeah. <laughs> right? All this free material. Or just stop like girlifying existing male characters and create a female character for once. But that is sometimes too much to ask, mm-hmm. and so I'll stop asking. <laughs> we'll just start creating <laughs> there's also i mean there are it, it is very worth mentioning that uh there are several women appearing in the live action section of the space jam mm. mm-hmm. michael jordan has a his wife mm-hmm. uh, played by Teresa randall he has a his mother uh, and he has a his daughter so they all appear and wait um, do we meet his mother or we we meet someone's mother. I Who's think mother? I think I think that woman is like their housekeeper. I thought that she was. Oh, like, I, I assumed that he... she was his mother. Oh, that's on me. <laughs> oh, okay, I know she's the one who's like making dinner for she's them as they're getting food. home. Yeah, yeah. I also oh. assumed that was like a housekeeper, but I, I they don't specify. They don't make it clear. So that's uh, yeah. I guess we just really don't get a look into what's going on there. But there are there are a few female characters that I, that are mostly at the beginning of the movie with Michael Jordan, and then they come they come back at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish that they had gotten more screen time. They're based on obviously like Michael Jordan's real family uh, and and people in his life, mm-hmm. but they're not given much to do in this case. Too much to ask. Another thing that's too much to ask because Michael Jordan's dragged to hell. <laughs> right. Um, there's also that scene where after the NBA players have lost their talent, they are being sort of like medically and psychologically evaluated. Um, yes. And there's a scene where Charles Barkley goes to play basketball with a bunch of women. And because yes. um, he plays against them and he doesn't have his talent anymore so he can't play they like embarrass him on the court that kind of thing and later when he's talking to it right i like it but then when he's talking to like a a psychologist later he says something like and then this girl five foot nothing blocked my shot and the whole implication of that scene was even a bunch of girls could beat charles barkley 
So it's still, it's sexist is what is happening there. I agree. I mean, I was, I guess, reading that scene a little generously of him saying, like, I'm one of the best basketball players in the world. Why did a bunch of 12-year-olds beat me? Uh, But I do agree that there is, like, a gendered element to it as well. It Mm -hmm. is very satisfying to see them beat him at basketball. And I think it's, I think I thought about that the same way you did, Jamie, because they show, they show them being very vigorous players and like the little bit that you see before Charles Barkley like when he's watching them they're like really like going at it and I'm like oh so these are like good street ballers you know and Mm -hmm. I and I definitely thought he was just like she's so tiny she's so small (laughs) like it's I don't understand and then the psychologist is talking to Patrick Ewing and he's like are you having trouble performing anywhere else in your life basically like does your right. dick still work and <laughs> which is like um it's like it's like psychiatrist relax Sorry. And, but then also Patrick Ewing's like um yes my dick works it's like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very different movie. If he's like, I would actually like to talk to a doctor about that. But thank you. Like, <laughs> and there's a part where Charles Barkley, he's praying. He's like, I'll never sleep with Madonna. I'll never go out with Madonna again. And I remember, that, I yeah. like, which is how so I learned that that even happened. Six. I was like, what? <laughs> and and Moby's like, Muggsy's like, you think I'm trying to disrespect my mama? And he's like, I didn't say that. You did. And he's like. But I love my mama. <laughs> it's such a weird sequence. Like the sports side is very, I mean, in, in the real and the animated world, the sports world is hyper masculine and, and, and like not very attempting to question that. And I feel like it's very of its time in that way where like the masculinity of professional sports is not really called into question in any way besides Lola Bunny in this movie uh which i was not extremely surprised by i honestly wasn't like i mean because i'd seen it and also because it's 1996 i wasn't expecting this movie to uh challenge that very (laughs) much especially because it's a movie that is like starring michael jordan who is like so of this like hyper masculine hyper disciplined sports moment Mm -hmm. and so yeah well that brings me to talking about the monsters Mm. and there is like a masculinity component to it but i also can't help but feel and and princess tell me your thoughts on this but the monsters are coded black right they definitely get more like stereotypical urban aesthetics and like how their mouths are designed like they get Mm -hmm. the kind of like um I always call them the the like minstrel outline of when you like hyper like line mm-hmm. the lips to make them look darker and like some of them start using kind of AAV like language mm-hmm. except for the one that stole the talent from a white guy who just becomes like a dopey white dude. Right. Um, like uh, the Charles Barkley one, like they all like you you heard the dream team, but we're the mean team, wussy man. Like like who. You guys didn't sound like that before you had this talent. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So they definitely urbanized them because I think that they, like the audience, can like understand the codification of that, of like, now they're dangerous because before they were like nebbish and tiny, but now they're like big, urban, you know, Mm -hmm. street ballers. So now we got to be afraid. And they also become kind of hot. Not going to lie, that green one, I was like... (laughs) He's kind of cute. And that's my favorite color. And I was like, that's a good shade of green on him. I was like, I was in for it. <laughs> but I'm trash, so. <laughs> Which it is, I mean, like, and and this is because we're talking about Space Jam primarily. Like, 
I won't get too into this, but given the history of Looney Tunes and race, I mean, Mm -hmm. it goes back to the early 1930s. So for our listeners, feel free to look it up and and do the math on how they've treated it. But there's been a number of deeply racist Looney Tunes cartoons that have been buried. And so for, you know, just seeing the evolution there in character design and in seeing that early Looney Tunes animators like Chuck Jones, who is, I get is like oh I guess along with Tex Avery, like the iconic Looney Tunes guy, mm-hmm. hated Space Jam and had a yeah. lot of issues with it. It it speaks to the I get I guess just like the slow update of a franchise and like calls into question is it possible to effectively update a franchise that was started so long ago and like what are the I guess, stumbling blocks in, in attempting to do that. And I feel like some of those are kind of really pushed against in, in Space Jam. And it's mm-hmm. also interesting because, like, as you kind of touch on, like, Looney Tunes' design, just like Mickey Mouse, is, like, rooted in minstrelsy. So you basically yeah. have these two kind of herb, like, two kinds of black codifications combating each other, featuring, like, the biggest black athlete at the time featuring in it. And it's this weird hodgepodge of, like, how <laughs> at that time... At, at that time and like in the 90s was kind of like the pinnacle of like black urban cool really being elevated in like mainstream pop culture which is why i think those choices were made and like why bugs bunny himself is so popular in so many different like places is because he also can like adapt that coolness because like mickey mouse was never cool but like Mm-mm, bugs no. bunny very much Full has cup. yeah <laughs> but bugs always had like a swagger about him and i feel mm-hmm. that that comes from them very much emulating the popular culture and vibe of an era and that usually is a black vibe you know and mm-hmm. even like even with the drag culture like you know a lot of that comes from like black queer environments and like so Mm -hmm. i think even in space jam they can't help but like all right well they're not gonna be scary if they're not a little bit black coded Mm. yeah yikes oh boy oof um i wanted to bring up um wayne knight's character is constantly fat shamed basically every moment that he is on screen (laughs) he's is made to seem just like this bumbling smelly clumsy like doof the giant fart joke is like even as a kid i found it uncomfortable i was like this is weird (laughs) and this is even like a little like i mean this is a little bit a side comment but the fact that even somehow wayne knight is subject to the same gravity laws as cartoons and still lola bunny isn't is very strange like he can be squished yeah, he yeah. can be squished, but Lola Bunny can't be squished. Why? Michael Jordan gets turned into a basketball and bounced around by the monsters, like halfway Why through the that? movie. Why? Right? And, but Lola Bunny can't. Ha- like she's just too delicate and too feminine to have any sort of cartoon. I'm not that I'm advocating for like violence to be done against her, but like that's the whole thing about Looney Tunes. It's cartoon violence and gags, but, like, physical cartoon gags. Violence is inherent to Looney Tunes and they don't feature any women. Right. And it's like she's an athlete. Like she would be used to getting hurt. And I mean like again, it's like it's like they half get it. You know, they half are like, we need to have a care a female character that does the thing. But then they mm-hmm. forget like female characters train they get hurt they get more injuries like mm-hmm. lola bunny was a cheerleader she would have gotten more you know injuries than any of these basketball players because cheerleading is the most dangerous sport around and it's like it's, right. it's like 
<sighs> it's so frustrating because like, and you're totally right about Wayne Knight, which is weird because it's like Elmer Fudd is not skinny. Like there's so many like fat characters and like differently able. Porky Pig is right there. He ain't even coming into the defense. He's just like doing like, you know, I'm just like, ah, dishonor. <laughs> <laughs> And then I wanted to bring up something that you uh, discussed, Princess, in a Mary Sue piece that you wrote about Space Jam merch. Mm, yeah. uh, care to talk about that? Yeah. So, like, I tend to only want to buy Space Jam merchandise with Lola on it. And so mm-hmm. frequently she's left out or she's, like, pictured not in costume. Mm-hmm. Or, like, she's, like, I remember, like, Forever 21 ha- was having, like, a huge Space Jam collection. I was like, yes, I'm about to just have, like you know, number 10 Lola Buddy crop tops all day. I was like, that would be <laughs> obvious to have for a site that is mostly frequented by uh, women and femme folk and other people who are femme presenting. And yet everything was like Taz, Daffy, Bugs, Michael Jordan. And I'm like, but mm. the second best player on the Toon Squad is Lola Bunny. So where right. is she? There's so little merch to the point where like, I was looking this up, merchandise that features her from this era is like worth a lot of money because they didn't Mm. make a lot of it and those that did became very you know valued by certain types uh, myself included (laughs) and like there isn't a lot of merch of her from like that era where she's like in her outfit and even now if you try to find like lola bunny like pins or anything like that they're all very hypersexualized Mm-hmm. And you really can't find anything. It's really upsetting because I do genuinely love that character. I I think I went to like some uh, fan con and I had someone draw like a little bit of fan art of her because I'm like I want to be able to own one piece of mm-hmm. non sexy Lola Bunny fan art in my lifetime. <laughs> um, but yeah, she doesn't get a lot of merchandise. And even when even when she was in other things like Baby Looney Tunes or Lunatics Unleashed, which was like this weird futuristic show that featured like Lexi Bunny who was like the future version of Lola Mm. there wasn't a lot of merch for her there either because just traditionally people don't make a lot of merch for girls when it comes to those kind of toys Mm -hmm. and when you know well only boys play with toys didn't you know exactly and so like it doesn't surprise me but it upsets me deeply because I love her it's just like a really frustrating double edged sword too because we like it is pretty clear that Lola Bunny was created to be merchandised and then for her to not be merchandised when she was created to be merchandised Mm -hmm. is like well then why are we doing this like if you're not going to merchandise her then why were all those very specific decisions made it just like (laughs) it's very confusing that and like the picture that you presented in that piece that you wrote had it was like a glass uh, like a drinking glass it had Lola Bunny off to the side in like plain clothes not in her uniform even though she's the only looney tune who's any good at basketball right like why would she not be in uniform like front and center (laughs) it reminds me of like when you get like mulan merchandise and she's never in her warrior outfit which she wears the majority of the movie why do i have all these long-haired mulan dolls that's not what she looks like like it it, it's it's absurd and Mm -hmm. uh, and i don't even know why they put her in that outfit because that's not an iconic outfit her uniform is the iconic outfit that she wears that jamie herself even had to try and like where is it i i would wear it in the house like it's a Mm -hmm. cute it's a look and yet they don't market that at all Mm -hmm. 
oh, it's hard. yeah, it, it's so frustrating. Like even today, when I went on Etsy and searched Lola Bunny, I hesitate to share with you the results I found because it was mostly. <laughs> Uh, corny things yeah. t-shirts of yeah Bugs Bunny having sex with Lola Bunny on a shirt which is, is was not what I wanted I was hoping more for a sh- a, just a shirt uh just a regular shirt with no sex happening on it <laughs> harder to find than you would think uh <laughs> so there's that I lost the thread a little bit earlier. I was, um, when we were talking about Looney Tunes history, I also wanted to quickly bring up a character who's very majorly sidelined in this era of Looney Tunes and has been off and on sidelined and regarded in a number of ways, and that is Speedy Gonzalez, um, who is on the team at different points. I don't know if you ever really get to hear him speak at length at all in this movie, but that's like another example of a Looney Tunes character who is built on racist stereotypes, mm-hmm. who's like, I, I guess, whose significance has been kind of argued back and forth over the years because Speedy Gonzalez is a character who has been reclaimed in many ways, but also, um, you know, criticized rightfully so in many ways to the point where there was a feature film starring Speedy Gonzalez in production as recently as 2016. And it it's just with a franchise that goes back this far, the process of claiming and disclaiming a character goes back so much. And in the 90s, at this point, Speedy Gonzalez, I think that they were the franchise didn't know how to handle him or what to do with him. So they were like, well, he's here, but he's not speaking. So mm. is that OK? Like, mm-hmm. it's just such a bizarre moment for this franchise in 1996 with the changes they choose to make and then the things that are left over from 50 years ago that they don't quite know what to do with. And so they just sort of do nothing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like the, like the date rapey Pepe Le Pew can still have like two speaking yeah. lines. It's <laughs> like, cancel Pepe. Cancel Pepe. <laughs> like, so why, why? Yeah. The fact that he got a line right after the Lola bunny scene, you're just like, this is unjust. Right? Is I was like, this is gross. I don't... Yeah. I don't... I hate him so much. It's just like... <laughs> he's such an annoying character. We, funny thing I heard is that in France, his dub voice is in Italian. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> the shame. They're like, we do not claim Pepe. <laughs> Yeah, he is not ours. <laughs> we will not stand for this slander. <laughs> I love it. But I will say, after watching Knives Out, um, Foghorn Leghorn's voice was so funny to me because all I oh could hear gosh. was like... <laughs> Chris Ad- Craig. And Chris Evans going like, what is this, uh, CSI KFC? And I just... <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn, who uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the pod before. Probably we've it's existed long enough. But my high school, my first boyfriend ever, we broke up. He broke up with me for the saxophone, and then years later, I saw him again, and he was exactly the same. But the one difference was that he had a bicep tattoo of Foghorn Leghorn, and that was the wow. one different thing about him. And that I, I have no update on him since then. <laughs> he got a foghorn leghorn tattoo. Choices. Um, so, you know, I guess still culturally relevant in the last 10 years. 
it was such a huge tattoo i'll never get over the shock of being like oh no one's expecting a full bicep foghorn leghorn the end that's bonkers incredible well you sounds like you dodged a bullet by getting broken up with um, i was gonna say this like you don't need that (laughs) (laughs) i don't i didn't it turns out i didn't need that in my life um but there it is um there's another okay we talked about this on our um who framed roger rabbit episode that's on the matreon um yes but there's a moment and this is i feel like very common in specifically movies that combine live action and animated stuff but i think this is also just a general animated trope where a male character will kiss another male character and it's meant to be this like, haha, isn't, isn't it so funny and wacky that I'm kissing you? But then the recipient of the kiss, while understandably is not happy, it should be because it is a surprise kiss that they did not consent to, is usually instead played as like a queer phobic, like, oh no, I just got kissed by a man, but is it okay because it's a cartoon? And it's just like this weird thing that uh, happens in this movie when Bugs kisses Michael Jordan upon like immediately upon seeing him because he's like if I wasn't real could I do this and then just lays lays one on him he's like um I don't know and they're like why why is this here yeah it's weird I thought of who from Roger Rabbit as soon as I saw it again because I was just like yeah they do that a lot because even at the end when uh I forget the the male character's name, but when he kisses Roger back, it's supposed to be this moment of like Roger's like, "What just happened?" Like it's like it's right. like, "Oh, that isn't fun." I shouldn't be surprised kissing people. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's a very interesting thing that is so part of like that era, mm-hmm. and like so part of like what people didn't really understand about like that being a thing that you shouldn't do, and it's only ever framed as a doing a thing that you shouldn't do. When it's two men, you know, it's never ever like if it's like a same sex thing, it's like surprise kiss, like, you know, or like if it's two women, it's like surprise kiss, you know, but like when it's Mm. two men, it's like, yikes. Because Bugs surprise kisses Lola Lola. at the end Mm -hmm. and she's like, hubba hubba, shawing, like, and it's like, no, you didn't, you didn't consent to that kiss. Does, oh, I have a question. Yeah. When Lola kisses Bugs, does that also count as a surprise kiss? I feel like that could easily be classified as a surprise kiss, yes. Because they're in the middle of a basketball game. <laughs> There's no <laughs> kissing in kissing? basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you put that right. romance on the, on the, on the side. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just all the kissing in this movie shouldn't have happened. Because it's, it's three surprise kisses in a row. I mean... The thing is, like, I have no, that I like, I, there's a lot of ways to come at it. And, I, and we've almost been talking to for two hours, so I won't go. <laughs> Which is longer than the movie. <laughs> but there is, like, I, I don't want to completely say that Lola Bunny should be desexualized because I feel like there is, like Princess was saying earlier, there's a lot of desexualization of female athletes sure. that is equally sexist. And, like, if you are an athletic femme, you can't be a sexual being as well and that's an equally unfair thing to have forced upon you of like totally if you are athletic it's inherent that that is all you can be it sounds so complicated but you just need to strike the same balance that you would for most male characters right and that's mm-hmm. all you would need to do um but this movie it uh it doesn't quite 
do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not so much that, I, like, if the fact that she is written primarily to be a new love interest of Bugs Bunny, like, that is not, I don't love that. But the fact that they end up in a romantic relationship together, like, whatever, I'm fine with that. Like, if they like each other, if they admire each other's basketball skills, whatever, fine. It's more that the nature of the kissing, which is just, like, three non-consensual kisses, uh, is what I take most issue with. Mm. But, I, you know, that still... Well, that brings me to a quote from another Mary Sue piece from Maddie Myers entitled, Hey Space Jam 2, Give Lola Bunny the Respect She Deserves This Time. Word. Says, quote, The way she, as in Lola Bunny... Uh, was framed taught kid me a pretty depressing lesson about what it takes to be accepted by a group of guys if you're lucky and if you're hot enough maybe you'll get to date one of them unfortunately i know that's a lesson that i internalized very early on in my life the idea that male male validation was the only thing that really mattered as opposed to winning games and excelling at my chosen hobbies it's a lesson that took me years to unlearn unquote Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the whole thing with uh, with Lola Bunny. Again, like as a character, isolating her character is like she's a great character. A lot of young girls saw her and looked up to her and, and found a lot of value in her character, rightfully so. Like she was the only good basketball player on the team aside from Michael Jordan. But the way that she is framed by the story, like the story doesn't like her. And, and then she's, her character suffers as a result. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. And I agree. I did hear that for Space Jam 2 that they have brought in some WNBA players. So I'm okay. hoping that Yay. that means... Yeah, I was. I remember hearing something about that. So I'm like, hopefully... And LeBron James has been very good about supporting female athletes. So I feel yeah. like he definitely wouldn't want to produce a movie that was like token woman in this era. Like, I don't think... I think that absolutely if... They don't do Lola Wright in Space Jam 2. It's going to be like, it's going to break my heart so bad. Mm -hmm. Like that'll be, that'll be ruining my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she'll get the, oh oh my gosh, I don't even remember her name, which tells you how important this character is. But the one female character in the Toy Story franchise. Oh, Bo Peep. Oh, Bo Peep. Peep, Oh yeah, when they got, Um, when they made her like Zena. Yeah, and Toy Story 4, she, I wonder if she'll, if like Lola Bunny will get the Bo Peep in Toy Story 4 treatment. We'll find out, I guess, well, whenever see. that movie comes out. <laughs> she can keep the crop top, but I just want her to have like some real shorts this time. Like some like, you know, knee high, knee length. Yeah. Right. I think we need to, we need we need her to have like knee length shorts. Knee length jeans. Like that. And 10 titties. Yes. And 10 t- <laughs> Just all it's in all one unfair. crop top. <laughs> yeah. Eight of them are exposed. Um, <laughs> two of them are covered up at the top. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I hope that the 2021 question mark um, iteration of Lola Bunny is, you know, I, I, I feel like at this point, yeah, with, with LeBron involved and with how far Hopefully we have come since 1996 that there will be more to see and more for Lola to do and reclaim. And I mean, it is interesting. This this uh, this franchise is like entering its 90th year and it's still Hmm. evolving, which is pretty. I mean, there's not a lot of um, franchises that you can follow for that long and track growth. So I'm, I'm excited to see what what she does next. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And yet and somehow we managed to talk 
nearly two hours about a 77 minute movie that is the that is the power of space jam that it it, it, that it has capitalist messages anti-capitalist messages it's pro-union it's like weirdly to um 90s girl power but also reinforces 90s sexism all in just under 90 minutes it's like it's (laughs) they don't make them like that anymore Well, it does not. We said already does not pass the Bechdel test. Two nope. char- two female no. characters don't interact at all. Well, I don't uh, think. Uh, Michael oh, Jordan's no. his wife and his, do- his, his daughter. His daughter his daughter interact, but it is briefly. not shockingly only about Michael Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes, I forgot yeah. about that. And yeah, very brief moment there. Um, and then I think like his wife and his housekeeper <laughs> or his mother we're not sure um you, i think yeah. also interact with each other but we i don't know do we know any of their names no i don't i think like is her name sheila i feel like they say her name once but i don't remember and yeah, i think they either. say and I, and I think they say the other woman's name too but it was funny because when that scene happened i was like oh, will this be the scene and it's not but it's about mm. food but it's about food and all i could hear is women be cooking <laughs> just oh, right. like, because she's yeah. making she's like making something with like uh collard greens and something and i'm just like mm, that does sound good women be cooking <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah unfortunately on the live action side there's there's not much happening for Mm-mm. women and on the animated side it's complicated <laughs> yes are we are we at the nipple scale are we there yeah should we um, read it on 10 rabbit nipples i'm kidding <laughs> uh i'm gonna give this um, like a half nipple well maybe i'll give it one nipple for lola bunny is she very tokenized is she hypersexualized? is any of that her fault no but you know she's at the mercy of these four male s- screenwriters uh whoever the hell we've got a leo we've got a steve a timothy and a herschel um who wrote this movie and had an opportunity to introduce an interesting female looney tune character into the canon and they did to some extent because lola is awesome again if you just isolate her but the the movie the way she is framed all the more that she gets to do in the movie all the more screen time she has doesn't do her any justice and then just like with charles barkley's comment of like and i was beaten by a bunch of girls like i don't this movie doesn't respect women um the fact that it's a of the live action characters that it's a predominantly black cast is worth noting that's not common for a hugely mainstream movie as this was that made over 200 million dollars at the box office and this whole franchise including merchandising which again does not include lola bunny enough is estimated to have made something like six billion dollars since the movie was released there's a lot of crop tops so you know there's pros and there's cons but you know from the lens of intersectional feminism i can't say that it does very well so one nipple and um i'll give it to lola bunny okay this is maybe over overly generous i i i'm cutting this movie breaks maybe it doesn't necessarily deserve but i'm i'm gonna go for one and a half and maybe i want i almost want to give it a two because i feel like we've we've touched on this throughout the episode the fact that there is a female athlete icon at least 
for young girls to project onto mm-hmm. was not a small thing at this time. Is she hypersexualized? Yes. Is is she not on screen enough? Absolutely not. But I do feel like a female athlete who is extremely competent and is confident in spite of the fact that that is really only appears in one scene it seems like the cultural legacy of this movie it doesn't feel like there was just one scene because um like girls of this generation projected so much onto her because Mm -hmm. what else was there at this time to project onto you had (laughs) basically disney princesses who were like had really no agency that much at all because it mulan hasn't come out at this point (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i so i i i'm being overly generous to it but i I feel like lola bunny does bring a lot to the table having a predominantly black uh live action cast was a huge thing at this time and uh, i just i mean maybe i'm giving it extra points for nostalgia it doesn't deserve but i'm gonna give it one and a half uh i also it's also worth mentioning that um there is there are predominantly as usual white men behind the camera for mm-hmm. this movie, but there is a black writer credited on this movie. Um, oh, where are my notes? Oh no, I have too many notes. Uh, is it Herschel? Because I feel like it'd be Herschel if it was. One it of is them. Uh, Timothy Harris, hmm. who is at the black writer on this movie. He is the writing partner. It's like two male writing partnerships that wrote this movie. So it's mm. Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrod. Great. Uh, <laughs> and then Leo Bienvenuti and Steve Rudnick are the two teams. Leo and Steve also wrote Santa Claus. Shout out. And oh. Timothy and Herschel also wrote Trading Places, Kindergarten Cop, and Twins. So now we know why Danny DeVito is there. I see. Um, <laughs> So there, I mean, it. I, I honestly, no because I, I'm like, okay, so there, there is a black writer um, on this project. Is it proportional representation? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I love this movie and I'm probably giving it too much credit, <laughs> but I'm going to give it a nipple and a half and I'm giving them both to Lola Bunny because we got to get her to 10. Got to get her to 10. <laughs> so princess, um... Uh, Give her 7.5, give the movie 7.5 <laughs> nipples. Um, I'm definitely going to, and I think I'm going to be a little bit more generous than Jamie. I, I gave it two. I thoughtfully gave it two. Um, both of them are Lola's nipples. Um, mm. But I think for me, the thing that I was thinking about in context of like female athleticism is like the only other movie I remember that featured like a female athlete in this way Whereas their priority was like love and basketball that came out in like in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I think about what it meant for me to have like a Lola Bunny doll when I was a kid and like even rewatching that movie today, I was like, there is something about the way that she just was so effortlessly cool that meant so much to me. And I think when I think about even now the way like, and even though Lola is not black, the way I've seen black girls attached to that character, the mm-hmm. way I've seen like that happen, especially when you think about how the WNBA talks about women, treats women, how underfunded they are. I mm-hmm. think even though she doesn't get enough screen time, it does mean something to have a competent female athlete in a movie who gets to be a love interest because that kind of thing desexualizes you in a way that's very like 
queer phobic and misogynistic at the same time it's like it, mm-hmm. they're like oh she must be like a lesbian as if a that's a bad thing like shout out to her <laughs> but i think that the tricky thing is that lola is like a made by committee design character and so like that's why it can't be like more than two i love it that it's a black movie i love the music in it and i i hope that space jam 2 does better but I think in terms of like the legacy of what Lola has meant to a lot of people is still a good thing. And that's why I'm bumping it just slightly up to two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also agree that like I'm probably giving it a lot of nostalgia credit because literally this movie has like genuinely saved me from like the worst like times in terms of depression. It's like my mm-hmm. sweet spot. Daffy remains undefeated. He has he's so funny. <laughs> He's so funny. I just, I love him so much. And the only character in this movie that appears in drag, if only for a second. Mm, yeah, because yeah, he's doing like a, a little runway thing. A fleeting moment. And he, and he looked great. You know, like Daffy mm-hmm. can pull off a wig. Um, oh, Looney Tunes look incredible in drag. Yeah. It's like, that's <laughs> Canonically. Yeah. <laughs> well, Princess, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and... you so much for having me. I was yeah. like, when I got the, when I got the DM, I was like, I think I was like, I was like, my time has come finally. <laughs> I think I think when you asked me, I responded like, I was like, Google Play, yeah, by Usher featuring Ludacris. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we'd love to have you back anytime. Yes, so please. This will uh, happen again. Thank you. That means so much. But thank you so much for having me. This this was so much fun. I turned off my fan for this and I don't feel like I've sweated at all, even though I absolutely (laughs) have. (laughs) That's how much I I love you guys. I want you to have clean audio. (laughs) And everyone listening, please follow Princess's work. I've been binging your YouTube channel. It is so fucking good. Like, just get into it, listeners, if you're Mm -hmm. not already into it. Yes. And tell us where we can find you and where what anything you want to plug. Yes, I am at Weeks Princess on Twitter, no spaces, and it's Weeks W E E K E S. Um and then on YouTube, my username there is Melina Pendulum because I was sixteen when I made it and I don't want to change it. Uh, <laughs> and uh my latest video was about Gone with the Wind. So, you know, mm. super topical, casual, you know, just have a little it's about the book though, because yeah, I'm very not, chill. I'm not sitting through that movie for another four mm. hours, like because it's too no. long. Thank you so much for having me and let's go and jam. <laughs> yeah, uh, well welcome welcome to the jam welcome to the jam as always <laughs> there. may the jam be with you <laughs> <laughs> we should rebrand as the jam cast and, yes um what if oh no punch up the jam is our new i'm just kidding um, yeah shout out to punch up the jam in the mix already. <laughs> oh, uh, you can follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can um, subscribe to our Patreon, aka Matreon. It's $5 a month and it gets you two bonus episodes every single month, including our entire back catalog of all the bonus episodes, with, which is like around 70 now. Um, 70 bonuses so if you're if you're running out of content there's there's plenty more to go through on the Matreon. You can get a, our merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast get all your and we have new designs coming in the store soon because I'm going to make them soon so guess what they'll be there soon as soon as I make them which will be soon (laughs) so look forward to that soon 
Incredible. Um, thanks for listening and um, come on and slam. And, and welcome to the jam. And welcome to the jam. Come on and slam if you want to jam. Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance... Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.